Welcome back to the Power of Sports Nutrition podcast. My name is Liz Broad and I'm an accredited sports dietitian. Today it's my great pleasure to be joined by Sally Bowman, who is a sports dietitian and Sally works for the US Paralympic team and has been there for the last two and a half years. Welcome to the program, Sal. Thanks for having me, Liz. Always a pleasure. (laughs) Sally, can you tell us a little bit about your background as a sports dietitian and how you got involved with parasport? Yeah, it's a bit convoluted in a way. Um, It kind of heralds back as a sports dietitian. I remember like sitting in my first day of my nutrition class and they were like if anyone wants to be a full-time sports dietitian you can basically just shelve that dream I was like oh don't tell me what I can't do um it's not an easy industry to break into (laughs) it's very popular Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. um I volunteered a lot through university shadowed dietitians who knew what they were doing in sport um just tried to be around the culture and understanding how nutrition played a role. So after I finished my degree, I was very grateful, actually, if I kind of backtrack. I had an opportunity to do kind of like a, I want to say like a master's research project and got offered to do, I don't know, something with to do with diabetes in a hospital setting. <laughs> Quickly yeah. marched up to their office and was like, can I do something different? And so... At University of Queensland, my native Australia, we had a elite kind of track for student athletes. And so they were giving them opportunities to have access to different services. So I ended up just running a study that had a practical component. So it would kind of blend together, you know, nutrition knowledge, hands-on skills, a little bit of social media, just trying to get athletes engaged in nutrition content. And that kind of was my springboard into sports nutrition because it gave me access to athletes. I was then able to publish very mediocre paper, but then was able to present to the SDA, so Sports Dietitians Australia, which then just kind of opened up other little doors for me, volunteering a lot. I ended up working in private practice because nobody would hire you as a sports dietitian Mm -hmm. because you have no no experience um so I ended up just you know kind of volunteering started up a private practice in a rowing gym which then grew my business to a lot of rowers and then rugby athletes and that got quite busy um I was working there for about five or six years had grown quite a decent client base across a a range of sports and then I ended up working in rugby union And was loving that off the back of a volunteer fellowship, which turned into a actual paid gig eventually when that dietitian decided to move on to bigger and better things. Um, I was also teaching at a university by the end of it in sports nutrition, which I loved. Got to sit down and just sling anecdotes. And I think I was just really (laughs) interested in different facets, which led to me reaching out to you, actually, (laughs) uh, because you knew the mentor of mine from the Queensland Reds Mm -hmm. and was just really interested in what you were doing over there and how you were an Australian accredited sports dietitian who was working in the US. When I reached out to you, I definitely didn't think 
that that was going to end up opening the door for me working with you. (laughs) But when our conversations led to a possibility for that chance, I seized it with both hands to be part of a team, to work alongside you and be mentored by you was nothing that I was about to pass up easily. And so that's my convoluted journey to working in Paralympics. And that's quite interesting because in Australia, unlike the US and perhaps some other countries, the university setting is, is very different when it comes to athletes in that university setting. It's not like the collegiate system in the US where at, certainly at the high level they're well supported. So what was the reception mm-hmm. like from the athletes? Well, it was interesting because it was like this hodgepodge mix of different athletes. So it wasn't like a program. It wasn't like I was working with a rugby program or a rowing program or something like that. It was these athletes who, you know, a couple were playing professional rugby. One was a decathlete, um, Mm. had a touch player, a couple netball athletes. So they were already, some of them already had support from formal dietitians. And this was just an ancillary thing. Um, others mm-hmm. had never really worked with um, nutrition staff before. And so it really was interesting that it was more of like these cooking classes, opportunities that these athletes could do to get involved with more nutrition. Um, and we had the the usual suspects kind of thing. So it was offered to all of these athletes. I think mm-hmm. there was about 30 of them, but yeah. probably had about seven to 10 of them really kind of engaging over the, I think it was like a four or five month stint that I did with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it okay. did turn into something that was now student run and it opened uh, the door for some, for some other continuation of that. I haven't checked into still if it's still going. I'm sure, I'm sure it's died out. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I think COVID, but, I think yeah. the COVID situation probably put a bit of a dampener on that. Uh, for oh, a couple absolutely. of years. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so very different cool. setup though. Yeah. 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 And so what sports do you currently work with? Uh, yeah, it's a good good question. The ones that I'm more embedded in, let's put it that way. Uh, on the summer side, um, I look after para track and field. Thanks for that one, Liz, now that I've inherited that. <laughs> <laughs> and para triathlon and then men's and women's wheelchair basketball at the moment and on the winter side snowboard and alpine though there's a lot of kind of I guess joint coverage that happens at some times um and there's a lot of collaboration that ends up happening within Paralympics so those are the ones Mm -hmm. that I have the strongest influence over I'm going to say and then um, through collaboration hopefully we can move greater collectives forward, not just the sports that we directly support. Mm -hmm. And how many other sports dietitians are there working with US Paralympic programs? We have one full-time sport dietitian who started in February after there was a little bit of a hiatus of just one. Uh, And then we have a few who contract with um, a range of different sports, both team and individual sports. Okay. And so they they just work with one one sport only, or some of them work across multiple so some, sports. Some work across multiple sports. 
um, and then others who might be based close to a decentralized program where they have a training base, they will support one sport. Mm-hmm. Cool. And so you started in the US two and a half years ago. What were some of the big mm-hmm. learnings you remember from early on? I hadn't worked very much in Paralympics yet. I think I'd come across a few athletes in my private practice, but nothing to this magnitude. And so I think there was like two different facets of starting to work with para. One was learning all of the different impairments, classifications, just the nuances that come with the Paralympic athlete. And then secondary to that was almost unlearning and then relearning a lot of sport nutrition principles and how that interlaced with all of the different impairment types and the significance of that impairment as well. So I think it's a it's a two-part kind of answer. This is a world of sport that a lot of people don't understand how it operates or how athletes get classified or how they might compete against each other or what they are able to compete in based on their impairment. Mm-hmm. And then you have to learn that first. And then secondly, yep. how sport nutrition and exercise physiology essentially interface with that. Um, I think it has made me a better sports dietitian because of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd hope so anyway. What, why do you think that is? I think mainly, I mean, I'm sure you would have heard this many times and have said it many times before is, you cannot assume anything in Paralympics. Mm-hmm. You have to treat every single athlete as an individual. You cannot do team prescription. Very yeah. difficult to just run an intervention or a particular strategy that you think is going to work without customizing that or just being aware that you are going to be hit with a lot of hurdles just because you're dealing with so many different types of impairments oftentimes. And so it makes it a little bit more challenging than if you were working in an able-bodied team sport like rugby, where you go backs do this and forwards do this. It's more of who has issues with this? Yep. <laughs> How do we help the whole team be hydrated, even though there are some who are going to have a lot bigger issues with fluid management than maybe some others? yet it's still a core theme that would run through an entire team. So I think you just have to be very sensitive and therefore incredibly flexible with the way that you are implementing a strategy. Yeah. And so let's go back a little bit to the the classification and understanding of the sports themselves. Where do you get that Mm -hmm. information from? A lot from like... The people that I've been working with, um, I think I sat down. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you to the person who uh, onboarded me was very smart and sat me down with the manager of classification for Parasport. Mm -hmm. And I was, I think I just had eyes as big as saucers going, "Uh, yeah, okay. Um, (laughs) Not going to lie, Google helped me out a lot when athletes Mm -hmm. would be like, oh, I'm a this. Uh, Like, (laughs) Google. coaching staff athletes themselves team leaders the internet does help a lot i'm not gonna lie Mm -hmm. as a fail safe but just being humble enough to go i this is so new to me you're going to have to explain it 
and asking what seems like silly questions. But do they have to like seem pretty receptive to answering some of those questions? Most of the time, especially when it's going like this is the outcome that I'm trying to get with you, understanding that there are some limitations. Tell me about how we could make this workable. Uh, What what have you tried before? What haven't you? What happens if you do this? So there's a Mm -hmm. lot more context finding (laughs) to arrive at a a specific strategy for someone rather than going, oh, you have this problem, just go do this. Yeah, um, but it's also context-finding in the in the respect of them being fully engaged in that in that problem-solving capacity. Well, absolutely. And just because two athletes have the same impairment does not necessarily mean that they are going to have the same level of functionality as well, mm-hmm. or the same issues. I guess like yeah. so, you might have two people with the same kind of lesion at the spinal cords, but one doesn't have like has a much bigger bladder capacity than another and so you can't just assume because you have a specific you know lesion placement that this is what's going to happen you almost go okay and and you just keep asking (laughs) questions so I think as long it's it's fantastic I'm so inquisitive and question everything so Mm -hmm. it lends well to to that side of me as a practitioner Wanting and so, to know why. Has, yeah. And so, has that changed the way you do your initial nutrition assessment in in any way? Not really. And I say this only because when I was working in private practice, I was forced to treat everyone as an individual because they don't like mm-hmm. you know if you're if you're you're sitting in front of someone paying to get contextualized knowledge, you want that person to understand where you're coming from. And so I learned really quickly because of the experience that I had to be able to dig and frame what I was going to say through the lens of somebody else and what how they were seeing the problem or what was going on. So I kind of borrowed that. I think as I've progressed through Paralympic sport and working in this environment, I'm better at asking questions or the right questions. I think it took me many, many more questions to still arrive at the answer that I would get to eventually. Um, but now I'm just a little bit more pointed and understand what could lead to different things. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so do you have a particular framework of priority, for example, with um, a particular impairment? Do you Are there certain questions that you automatically think, oh, I need to make sure I check those boxes with this impairment type that differs from one impairment to another? Yes. It also is like sport dependent. You know, if they're going to be, for instance, competing and training out in the heat, are they going to be able to thermoregulate? Um, And therefore, that then goes down that whole track of hydration, fluid management, other ways to keep them cool. So I think, yes, there are some things where it's like you have this sort of impairment, list the medications that you might be on. Um, yep. You know, list the problems that you've had, experienced before. Um, have you tried anything that's worked or hasn't worked for you in past? But I think for me, the big buckets that I think of as a sport dietitian is, are you able to get the fuel that you need beforehand or during? Mm-hmm. And then after as well. Um, 
are you able to hydrate and thermoregulate effectively? And then I guess another one is we travel so much in the world of Paralympic sport. Um, how do you manage travel? And how yeah. does that interrupt your preparation to compete? Mm-hmm. And are there specific challenges with that that we need to overcome? So I think the level of importance of those things is going to be predicated on the sport and its demands and then their impairment interlaced yeah. with that. Yeah, and I guess the context on that is that you're working with athletes who are at the higher level of their sport, um, at the international mm-hmm. level of their sport, more so than developing athletes or um you know, young youngsters. So I guess that's the, the context behind um, the focus of where you put your questions into. Absolutely. But I think then we do have some of those athletes who are rising stars, uh, mm-hmm. who are young or very much undeveloped in terms of how long they've been involved in elite sport. Yep. And then it's a, even a matter of meeting them where they're at. They're not yeah. eating properly, just they're just eating terribly. <laughs> like the quality <laughs> is there. That's the first thing that we work on, right? Yeah. So I think yeah. as like, like an able-bodied sport, you have to kind of progress them up the, up the pyramid, so to speak, and hopefully yeah. we get to the pointy end where it's highly nuanced and we're talking about the 1% or 2% that is going to tip them above the rest but definitely not discounting the fact that the majority of the things that we do with our athletes are at that foundational level. And if that's yeah. not ironed out, there's no point in looking at moving further up the ladder and whistle stuff. Yeah. 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 So were there some challenges that surprised you when starting working with Parasport or that still surprise you? I love getting surprised. <laughs> no, <laughs> this is... There's always challenges where you sit there and you wonder if you're actually doing your job correctly in some ways because there's nothing to fall back on. There's so much guesswork, which is exciting and frustrating at the same time when, you know, someone who is highly learned is asking you, well, where's the research? Well, where's the, where, where are you pulling this from? Yeah. And then you're like, oh, my gut. my experience Um, yeah yeah well like people like well you haven't been working in para that long yeah I know but I think I continually be surprised by sometimes I think something's going to work and it just doesn't and yeah eating the humble pie and not being intransigent locking in well no you just have to do this yeah, and it's a lot of give and take. Is it because, like why? Why are we meeting this hurdle? So I think, yeah, like I'm, I'm continually surprised because things don't just follow a, a nice pretty pattern, which is good. It keeps my brain engaged. It's frustrating, but it's good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it helps me, right? It just you add experience as you go along. I'm just surprised by the creativity of our athletes, especially the ones who've being around a little bit or just know their bodies well. You're like, what mm-hmm. do you think is going to happen if we do this? And you know, some of them are like, oh, they'll be able to go probably this. And you're like, really? Like, oh, yeah. Mm. Like, okay, go try. You know what I mean? 
and the creativity that they kind of meet you with because it's often a problem that they want to solve too. Yeah. And so I just the level of investment that some of our athletes show in managing their impairment, not only for sport, but you realize that it sets them up for a long and healthy life when they're finished. Mm. I really enjoy that aspect because <laughs> if I can yep. protect the bone mineral density of someone who, who has an amputation, that's not only going to help them now by having like a, a strong skeleton, but when they get older, if we're protecting that bone mineral density, if they fall over because they haven't ambulated properly, they're not going to break their hip. So yeah, things like that where you realize you're making a difference more on just someone's performance on a podium yep. is still surprises me to this day in a good way. <laughs> and I guess you're in a situation where you can follow a journey with an athlete. Like you, the athletes are often there for an extended period of time and so you can develop mm-hmm. a long-term relationship and a long-term pathway as they evolve with their sports nutrition understanding and, and uptake and, the, and their knowledge. Have you got a couple Absolutely. of examples I, of where mm-hmm. that's, that's been a really nice journey? Yeah, I mean, I have a few. But like on that point, I want to say one thing. I think the fact that the way my role is set up is I'm an employee of Team USA or the USOPC rather than necessarily being employed by one sport. Mm. it'll and and my role being vulnerable right to one sport like I think about what it was like when I was working at rugby union if the coach wasn't on board or you know upper level management didn't agree for instance like your job can be in pro sport vulnerable whereas my role is a little bit more protected and that allows me to think of these athletes as human beings first Mm. and athletes second Mm-hmm. And, and so it, it helps me. I, I think that's that's actually a very good thing because I'll be going, no, 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 if we, if we push them too hard now, we're going to burn them out for the next quad, for instance. So that's not something yeah. that should be a priority right now. So yeah. I'm, I'm not blind to the fact that my role allows me that luxury um, where mm-hmm. other dietitians may not be in that same position even though I think we always advocate for it. Yeah. In in answer to the actual question, (laughs) (laughs) yes, it's been really cool to even in a short period of time, you know, two and a half years, I feel that especially those who have been around longer or have worked more closely with, so some of our resident programs, where you're seeing someone take ownership of their body composition as one element yep. of, you know, the puzzle, you know, yep. to work closely with them and to tinker not just on body composition but on hydration and cooling. And I think of the work that I've even done with the paratriathlon resident team where they have such good mm-hmm. team chemistry and team sim- synergy and to be standing there watching them compete in Tokyo, running to the finish line to, <laughs> to see one of our athletes, Kendall Gretsch, tip the other, yep. you know, the Australian at the finish line, literally chased it down on the blue carpet. And just the elation that comes with that, that's really cool to know that you are yeah. just a tiny little speck of the performance <laughs> on the day. Um, and, but to be like, okay, well, we two years ago we were talking about 
how to heat acclimate her properly and in conjunction yeah. with coaches and other providers and celebrating every infinitesimal win that happened along the way and refining and changing and refining and changing and then to see that play out on the day and it's not just Kendall yeah. but the whole team to hit their yeah. straps that was really cool great yeah yeah that's what it's fun. So you mentioned earlier that you, you know, there's not a lot of research in the area and you, and you often have to take a stab at something, give it a shot, see what happens, reassess or, or modify. Are there sources of information that you do go to if you're looking for an extra, I guess, an extra tool in your tool chest or an extra way of, approaching that problem other than calling the walking encyclopedia on all things paralympics was broad well there's your textbook which is fantastic so short of those two things which i know that not everyone has lose broad on speed dial um, <laughs> and i'm sure she screams like oh, a lot I, I tend to talk about it with our provider team first. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's because we're all familiar with specific athletes or specific impairments and how that interfaces with their sport. For like a, if it's, if I'm trying to solve an N of one problem, kind of go back, see what has been done in able-bodied research sometimes. And then we talk about that amongst ourselves going, will this work? Why, why won't it work? all of those sorts of things. And often the athlete is included in that conversation. <laughs> yeah. Do you think this will work and why not? If you think this will work and why do you think it'll work, tell me why. So there's a lot of that. I think talking with other colleagues is the biggest thing that I have because yeah. I can research all I want, but it's going to be usually a very specific situation that was done with a Paralympic athlete or not to do that with a sport context that I'm trying to apply it to. And so to go back and bring evidence from an able-bodied environment and then talk about it with the people who can translate that into an adaptive environment, yep. I think is is probably the best the best approach that I've found so far. Yep. And do you find that most of the your other support staff, um, that includes the coaches and the other people who are working mm -hmm. with the athletes, do you find that, uh, yeah. that the coaches have been pretty supportive of the work that you do with the athletes and of sports nutrition as a whole? I'd say overall, yes. But if I had to put the average together, right, you're always going to have some yeah. coaches that are 100% on board. Whatever you want, I'll give you free reign. Um, I want to be a collaborator in this process. And then others are like, do what you do. and yeah. You don't have to report to me, whatever. I trust you. And then you have those coaches who may have a little bit of like healthy skepticism because of other things that have happened before. Um, and that's okay too, right? So, yeah. But overall, I'd say in Paralympics, everyone's going, we still don't know what the best way to do anything is because mm -hmm. this is new, really, in the timeline of sport. So you, I think you almost have this openness to innovation and creativity that runs through Paralympics that maybe mm -hmm. you don't get in some other able-bodied sports that are, mm. have a lot more tenure or history where certain things have bred success. Yes. 
Yeah. And given the fact that there's a technical component, meaning equipment, in the majority of our para sports, I feel like you have to be like that because it's always advancing. And if you yeah. don't advance, you're going to be left behind. Yeah. So yeah. I think that lends itself it's, well. Yeah. And, you know, internationally it's becoming more and more competitive in terms mm-hmm. of the the depth of athletes within each impairment type as well as across the sport in, as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was one of the main reasons that I jumped on the opportunity of this role was not only to, to work with minds who would challenge my own and force me to grow and inspire me to grow mm-hmm. and to just kind of be a sponge for the greatness that was around me, but the fact that Paralympics really is in its infancy and has so much potential to be more than it is. And it's not saying that it's not great now, but you think of the advances that have happened in the last 10 to 15 years just in Paralympic sport, and you just go, that's going to be an exponential track. And to be part of a movement that's much bigger than yourself is is kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. Cool. So do you have any recommendations for sports scientists, coaches, sports dietitians, who may be starting to work with with para-athletes or interested in that area? Ask a lot of stupid questions, (laughs) I think. Um, Learn to be maybe fixed about the goal, Mm -hmm. but flexible about the methods. And sometimes that goal does not necessarily have to be a specific metric. I think always going, this is to improve performance. Will this actually impact performance or health? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like not just go the hydration value for hyd- for someone considered you hydration is a urine specific gravity of 1.009 to 1.020. And you have to fit in this range or you're not going to perform well. And yeah. if you're working with an athlete and they perform fantastically at 22, and if they push down to 18, for instance, then they're just interrupting training or they're, good night's sleep um, yeah. is that actually helping performance and so it, I think it's some of those sorts of things where it really forces you to criticize what what outcome you're trying to drive and if you mm-hmm. if that's metric bound don't forget about the metric of performance <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and good life quality yeah so, yeah I think the good life biggest. quality is yeah good life quality and, and health and well-being actually play a fairly big part, particularly in the parasport side of things as well and making sure you've got mm-hmm. that as part of the key to delivering performance. Absolutely. And I think sometimes either as like a sports scientist or a dietitian or whatever, we're like, we need, we love, we love data, hard facts. And sometimes we almost end up chasing that to a detriment I think taking that step back and looking collectively about what are we trying to do here mm-hmm. is is something that is really important and athletes remind me of a lot. <laughs> I understand <laughs> you want me to be hydrated, but I'm literally wetting myself. <laughs> Let's reevaluate. Let's back it up. Back to the conversation. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so what about para-athletes? What do you think are good sources of information for them or what recommendations do you have for you know upcoming para-athletes or para-athletes in other countries who maybe don't have mm-hmm. access to as good a resource yeah I think 
there's a few things. Podcasts like this are fantastic. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, your, your textbooks are really good kind of guides for anyone starting out. For like more user-friendly, like athlete-facing stuff, hmm. there are some fact sheets out there. Um, the USOPC, actually, on teamusa.org forward slash nutrition, you will be able to find some para-specific fact sheets that were developed. Other than that, I think this is going to sound bad, but like following some of the Paralympians on social media is a really good way to get a look behind the curtain about what they do on a daily basis, not just in regards to food and nutrition, but in all aspects of how to manage your impairment in your life. And please, am I am I missing some? Liz, tell me where I should be looking because I'm so lucky and so locked into the <laughs> fact that they have me and they have other resources, right, that I forget that other things may be available. So please, I'm going to flip this back on you. What great resources are out there for our Paralympic aspiring Paralympic athletes around the globe? Oh, thanks, Sal. Um, there actually aren't, and that's the that's the problem. Like some para athletes have good access to a sports nutrition, sports dietitian, sports scientist through their national federations, but a lot of them have very limited access, and unfortunately, there isn't a lot of public publicly available information and and I guess the thing that I always caution athletes on is is Google can be a powerful tool but can also create a lot of confusion and so and especially when you're trying to then adapt that into your own personal perspective and so I think Mm -hmm. it's you know following leading athletes on their social media is is a good port of call because they can give you more realistic sort of examples of how they're using the information that they have. But yeah, I think it's more a um, don't be afraid to try and source a good sports nutrition individual, even someone who hasn't worked directly in para sport. If they're an experienced sports dietitian, they'll be able to find ways of adapting that information. But more importantly, when you do find that resource, be really open with your communication and be willing to join the party in terms of exploration to find what works best for you as an individual, that there's no one way of doing things. But if if you want to improve as an athlete and you want to get good, good information, be willing to be a joint party to that. So it's a conversation rather than a directive of you're going to do this and, and you're going to do that. And I think that's a lot. A lot of people think going to a sports dietitian, they're going to be told what to eat and how to lose weight. But it's a much more dynamic interaction and far more performance focused than and nuanced than just that kind of being told what to eat. Absolutely. Especially like a good private practice dietitian. <laughs> yeah. Maybe because this is the world that I come from, but they will be a very good collaborator and a teammate because they've never worked with you before. And while they may have worked with lots of other people, I would have a massive red flag if someone was just going, oh, I know exactly what you need to do. (laughs) Yeah, I doubt it. (laughs) I have a a good idea of of where we start. Uh, Yeah, I think never be afraid to to recalibrate somebody if they're way off base as well. Cool. I invite that all the time. 
So, Sal, we're drawing to the end of our conversation for today, although I think I'll come back to you because I'll, I'll have some other specific sort of topics to talk about today. It was more a general topic. But one specific question, what's your favourite food? Mm. Okay, pick two. <laughs> yes, you can. Okay. I really, 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 really love mango, like mango ice cream particularly, ice cream in mm-hmm. general segue mango into the, <laughs> the realm of ice cream uh to gateway fruit um and then like a really good thai curry uh, or vietnamese <laughs> see i don't have one favorite that's really difficult that would be like asking someone who has 12 kids what their favorite who which one of their kids is their favorite. That's a or a sports dietitian who their sports favorite sports. athlete or a sports dietitian who their favorite yeah. athlete is that's unfair. You have favorite aspects <laughs> of athletes. I love an athlete. Or their favorite is team. like this. <laughs> yeah. And they all like to pit off against each other. You like working with yeah. us better, don't you? Like in some mm. regard, yeah, but not these. <laughs> <laughs> Work harder. Awesome. Thank you very much, Sally, for your time. I'll let you get back to your busy schedule with the um, Winter Paralympics coming up very soon and such a tight turnaround between Tokyo and Beijing. I know that that's a bit of a nightmare and the the clock's ticking, so we'll let you get on with your day. And um, thanks a lot for joining us and hopefully we'll be able to have you back on in, in a little while down the track. I appreciate, yeah, appreciate your time as always, Liz. Don't worry. The circus always needs a little bit of intermission, so happy to chat whenever. I hope you enjoyed this little introduction into how a sports dietitian can work with a para-athlete. We'll have more to come from sports dietitians over the next year or so. If you have any feedback, please leave a message for us and also interested in hearing about any topics that you might be interested in and hope that you might share this podcast with your social media platform. Hope you join us for our next podcast.